0: Welcome, Alien Overlords, to your Secret Invasion podcast by Fantastic Geek, the official unofficial voice of the Marvel Cinematic Community. My name is Matt, and joining me is the reptiloid who has assumed the visage of Pete. Hello,
1: Pete. Home in my own skin. The Secret Invasion podcast by Fantastic Geek for Secret Invasion Episode 1, Resurrection, is brought to you by comfortable ass chair that belonged to louis the 14th priceless
0: pete priceless experiences indeed as is every new york comic-con every san diego comic-con what can we look forward to from marvel studios at hall h next month
1: absolutely nothing
0: uh pete what's gone on you shared news with me only earlier today hall h canceled entirely just for marvel what's the situation
1: the Hall H presentation by Marvel is currently called off. This a repercussion of all the rearranging of the schedule that has gone on in the midst of the Writers Guild of America strike.
0: Pete, look, though you and I are in no way affiliated with New York Comic Con other than being fans of it, past attendees of it, I would like to suggest that maybe uh, Marvel studios would like to reschedule if it's brighter times come October, come on to New York, New York Comic-Con. I'm sure will do a bang up job to make up for uh, the cancellation of San Diego Comic-Con's hall H Marvel experience.
1: Along a similar vein, Matt, the artificial intelligence, that's your AI credits for this episode, roundly controversial.
0: I did not know that it was AI supplemented or whatever the proper term is. I did note in my viewing and my notes that it kind of looked with that sort of generative picture sort of thing. I think that it works for the show. I know I saw the headline like Disney promises no jobs were sacrificed in the creation of this AI opening. Look, there's AI and then there's AI. I think that. This is a credit sequence that looks weird and you can't quite see faces and that's in line with the show. I don't think that they just said, Amazon device, make me a credit sequence, go. I think that as with other things, for example, in the last week or so, AI substitution for Beatles song says Paul McCartney. No, what they did is they used computer to filter out things like, hey, computer, hiss is hiss, guitar is guitar, voice is voice. We want to pull John Lennon's voice out of this cassette tape from the late 1970s. You want to call that AI? Fine. That's a whole lot different than, you know, Earl Schwarzenegger's coming after me kind of AI. Um, I, somebody helped make these credits with the help of a computer. Is it that different than Photoshop removed stuff from the background or Microsoft paint did a whole paint can thing and filled in the whole shape green, you know, at, at what point is that AI versus not? But to me, this was a credit sequence that worked.
1: We're going to agree to disagree on that. No jobs lost, no jobs created, Matt. And if only Marvel, a company founded by artists uh, farming out art Two, artificial intelligence. It's a bad look. It's lazy, okay? I see your point that with this property and, you know, I've read the whole thing. Well, you know, the idea of simming and, you know, the, the one frame with Sam L. Jackson's face and the scroll, I get it. I guarantee you an actual human artist and a brain would have done it even better. And this during a writer strike or artificial intelligence is the second biggest issue
0: and I will certainly agree with you there that that from a PR perspective maybe maybe this was not the time to do an AI nope. uh, you know influence yeah, sequence actually. like like the look is not a good one um even if I'm not quibbling with the product like again you could have just said hey person who works at title making company your job for the next month your entire salary is paid for by disney we want to kind of make it look like those weird ai yeah make
1: it look like ai don't use the ai that's that's where i in particular have a problem with it
0: well pete over on the star trek spectrum of things you know star trek has told us there's never a problem with computers going out of control except for you know, occasionally in every series. Um, we will be celebrating Star Trek Sunday tomorrow as we talk Strange New Worlds, Episode 202. Looking forward to that discussion.
1: Let's evaluate the intel from this episode. Following our Marvel Studios logo, we're in Moscow in the present day, in a tunnel with Everett K. Ross, or at least we think it might be Everett K. Ross, who gets a location from an informant and tells him to stay put, ditches a burner and checks his gun. Prescott narrates about a world where information cannot be trusted. What a world, Matt, that would be to live in. As Ross makes his way to the safe house, where Prescott presents the theory that five global terrorist strikes in the past year claimed by different groups are actually a coordinated effort by alien scrawls. And of course, recaps about how Carol Danvers and Nick Fury promised to find these alien refugees a new planet 30 years ago, but now they want Earth. These shape shifting scrolls can be anybody at any time. Um, but of course, the only contact uh, to them has been through Nick Fury, who is on Saber, okay, looking for his shoes. Um, all this calls for evidence, which all these other attacks uh, will be nothing compared to the one that Prescott produces. Evidence for, which Ross looks over and wants to take to give to Fury when Prescott rushes Ross and strangles him before ultimately Ross frees himself with a bullet.
0: I have thoughts, Pete. First of all, this scene preceded by a faster Marvel Studios logo, one that's maybe a little bit more appropriate for TV, I don't mind a nice hearty, thick Marvel Studios logo when I'm settling down to a theatrical adventure, but we move it along a little bit faster now, finally. So good thoughts there. Uh, second of all, you captured so much about how the this opening scene is setting the table for new and old viewers alike, but particularly new viewers. The idea of the scrolls. how many are there? Thousands, ten of thousands, and so forth. Also, it jumps out at me, the idea that an architect has been identified. Of course, it's a through line in this episode to introduce us to that architect who we'll talk about it later, who has the a name similar to another famous TV alien, but we'll get there in a bit. Um, last thing I want to mention, Pete, just note from a theoretical producer Matt here: Press Cod with a D versus Press Cod with a T. I would have gone with the T. The show goes with Press Cod with a D um it's, it's a choice it's it feels like it's a slightly weirder thing to say but uh yes uh Prescod shot as uh ross or frost uh <laughs> steps out onto the mean streets he has himself a tail now pete that's a tail in the spy sense not the kind of lizard man sense uh he calls he needs an extract it's tv's uh kobe smolders. maria hill on the intercept She is six blocks away. We see the tail, may even have a gun. Uh, Ross runs past Russian discotheque uh, (laughs) and down some stairs. It's an exciting uh, chase. Um, I like that when he's going up the stairs. I like however they shot it with doubles or computers or whatever it is. The idea that they're running up the stairs and see the lights going on, the people in the windows and so forth. Um, Then we have Ross on the roof. Pete, you got jumping, you got sliding. Um, Ross jumps and then lands several stories down. His face ripped up. That's when I said to myself, "Pete, hold on. That's TV's beloved Martin Freeman." The I sound don't...
1: design alone.
0: Yes. Yeah. Um, Maria Hill does indeed pull up, um, and the the baddie chasing Ross. That's actually Talos. Ross, indeed, faux Ross or Frost. A scrawl, but not he's. Not one of Talos, but rather, it is said to us, one of
1: them. After the tone deaf title card, a bearded, eye patchless, and limping Nick Fury is dropped off on Earth at night in the woods and met by Hill. He later meets with Talos, who has a Santo Milica scroll sky plant sprouted from a seed his late wife soren brought wherever she went it has adapted to the planet and they embrace as fury expresses his sorrow for the loss of his wife who worried it would take something like this to bring him back to earth fury wants to know about gravic but talos wants to talk about Fury first. He was different after the blip and disappeared, as did Carol Danvers and Talos's daughter, Gaia, described as young and angry. Their people still don't have a home like others. Talos was kicked off the council and pushed into exile. Uh, Gravik took this parter uh hill explains that grabic is the newest member of the scroll council preying on the collective rage of young displaced Skrulls. um those matt i would like to label as screen cells
0: <laughs> um Again, this scene functioning, I don't think in a heavy-handed way, but functioning to set the table. We have references here to, after the blip, uh, Fury disappeared, as did Carol Danvers. We have some kind of recap here. Talos uh, having been married, Soren dead, having a daughter, and so forth. Not mentioned in this scene, but later on, is how some scrolls, particularly those who are maybe played by famous people, um how they are more comfortable to stay in human form, which is also a more comfortable way to start your day. You roll into the makeup trailer at 7 a.m., not 4.30 a.m. for the green It
1: Streamlines those effects, too, which they also don't tell you.
0: (laughs) Indeed. Um, But, Pete, the most weirdo, far-out thing here that we're supposed to accept in this fictional world that even strains credulity is the idea that Gravic is trying to build tensions between the United States of America and Russia. Uh, Indeed, perhaps using uh, nuclear means, specifically abandoned nuclear facilities, nuclear waste. It's mentioned that nuclear waste is no problem for Skrulls. So Pete, can you imagine a world where the friendship between our two nations could be strained by some sort of little guy?
1: one of these groups that Prescott was monitoring, known as AAR, Americans Against Russia, uh, which he believed was a Skrull front here, trying to get their hands on a dirty bomb, of course, the radioactivity not being a problem for Skrulls. And uh, the scope is immediately apparent Here, there was a weapons cache in Kazakhstan that was raided the same day Prescott was killed. Talos puts it squarely that if Gravix succeeds, humanity will be wiped out, which is enough to cause Nick Fury to stand and go for a walk in Moscow at night.
0: Meanwhile, Pete, in the White House, uh, James Rhodes, that's your roadie, you know, who we've seen in a variety of other Marvel movies. And the bottom line here, Pete, uh, the idea that Fury and Hill are missing and Rhodey must deal with it. Maybe that's something that's going to unfold over multiple episodes.
1: Back in Russia, Fury exchanges looks with a kissing couple on a bench and a girl with a rainbow ball who's hurried away by her mother before he's bagged and thrown in a van and brought to Sonya. He asks about her clocks as he plants a bug on the eye of an owl. As the tradition goes, she explains, a clock goes up when their time in the service is done. As Fury puts on a record, she serves him vodka and not his preferred bourbon because she still hasn't forgiven him for destroying her expensive flat. She asks about rebel scroll leader Gravik uh, who Fury knew. Uh, He asks her about the Kazakhstan heist, which she pretends not to know about. The fact that he doesn't know tells her all she needs to. And she thinks that Thanos' snap taught him no matter how hard he fights there's always someone stronger but he has 30 years of experience with Skrulls and she tells him to go back to his space station
0: the scene opening with Olivia Coleman's Sonya kind of wondering uh obviously somewhat facetiously uh, who this gentleman of color could be Nick Fury or Paul Robeson um and I realized Pete, that um, this is not a conversation that normally I I would say polite people have. So maybe in retrospect, we're meant to um, perhaps think a little less of Sonia. I don't know. There's something I'm not saying it's an outright kind of racist scene or racist portrayal of Sonia or something, but there is a slight kind of weird ickiness to it that initially I was like, oh, maybe Pete didn't cover that in the recap. Maybe we just skip over it entirely. But it does occur to me that perhaps perhaps we are meant to not look completely favorably on Sonia based on this
1: subtext. And then, you know, with further exploration of her character in this episode, uh, nefarious at best.
0: Um, but as you say, uh, because the show wants us to be really clear on it, that owl statue, uh, and the bug on it continues to beep softly there must have been a production discussion. Well, if we have it beep, then people are going to think that they everybody can hear the beeping. And then why doesn't Sonya hear the beeping? It's clearly meant for us. It's, it's beeping very softly for we, the audience, to hear.
1: She's only tone deaf. She's <laughs> not actually deaf. But 312 kilometers uh, southwest from Moscow, uh, a man approaches a guarded gate where he's looking for home in his own skin. A car pulls up, and it's TV's Amelia Clark who gets out and tells him to take his natural form, to which he shifts briefly, puts his hat back on before she welcomes him to New Scrollos. Beto, I wonder where they got that name, (laughs) Matt.
0: Perhaps from a, a political candidate in Texas. I don't know.
1: Hasn't eaten for a while and she gives him a blue piece of produce. Uh, Skrull stuff only there uh, in their community of over 500 built around what looks like a crumbling reactor where scroll children play soccer outside in really apparent prosthetics. Uh, but not everyone is part of the resistance like the children and the other people there who clearly are doing like war things. Uh, It's Gravik, though, who provides refuge. If, and that's an if, you choose to be a warrior, you get to leave. Uh, Warriors keep their human form. The longer they're attached to their shells, that form they take, the less likely they are to be ID'd. And it keeps that old CGI cost down. Uh, but what's behind that door, Matt, other than victory?
0: Um, there may be Borg-like setups, which we return to <laughs> in a little bit. But initially I was like, it's it's the Borg. It's the Borg. Well, um,
1: they've we... used that tech, remember, in Captain Marvel.
0: yeah. Yeah, listen. Yes, I completely agree. Is that where my mind went immediately? No, in part because Captain Marvel the movies, like the release of it, was a long, long time ago. And again, you know, I'm in no way down on this episode. I'm in no way down on this series. I don't think it's the most exciting thing I've ever seen, but we're off to a really good start. Different tone, lots of positives. But part of what this show is asking is to say, like, hey, you just watched Captain Marvel, right? As well as the end of WandaVision, right? As well as the end of uh, Spider-Man Far From Home, right? Let's go. Versus, like, no, actually, I haven't. I've been enjoying other content that Disney makes and other places make and so forth. So, yes, Pete, I I agree with you. But I I just want to note that perhaps the show is coming from a place of, you know, you just got done watching Captain Marvel. Now click on this. Versus...
1: That was four years ago, almost. We have uh, Brogan, uh, who is a warrior here, who wants to fight for Skrullos, and his dream is home in his own skin. So they bring in the shell, which they unbag. This is one of those Americans against Russia goons uh, whose dreams are about to come true. In that he is simmed by this scrawl, who takes his face and his cute little yellow hat, and then he's plugged into the machine where they take his mind. All this as someone watches through the window above.
0: In Sonya's headquarters, uh, we have a hollow image revealing that uh, Sonya is pondering Gravik's plans. Uh, as well as the idea that five people can make the bomb plot happen. It's reiterated that she's a scroll hunter, and we see Maria Hill, Fury, and Talos pondering how to best go after the bomb crew. Talos doesn't like the idea of going after these MI6 types. Uh, after all, Sonya is going on a scorched-earth policy. Pete, there is tension In the air here, Sonia, an antagonist to our heroes. Gravik, an antagonist. Sonia and Gravik, antagonistic towards each other. It's like a romance triangle, but there's just tension. It's like a
1: divorce triangle or something. Not just a fight, but a race uh, to defuse the situation here. Uh, Back at New Skrullos, we see Gravik, who is served a beverage... As uh the soon to be named Gaia played by Amelia Clark here reads uh Pagon tells G. Uh no, they, they really call Gravic G. That's not shorthand in my notes.
0: <laughs> they do, homie. It's because they're setting up the reveal that G is Gravic, yo.
1: Yes. Um, that Fury is now in town, but he's Washed up, you know, barely able to see out of the good eye. And they're keeping their circle tight. Gravik asks, is this to protect him or the cause? But Pagan tells him that he is the cause and Gravik corrects him that the cause is home. They will go tomorrow and they will not stop until Earth is theirs. Pagan calls Clark, who is uh, eating with Beto there outside, where she is told that Xerxu will drive her. She's going to take the cash to an address that she's given. She will deal with Popristian uh, and no one else. He'll give her two bags that she'll have to get to a safe house uh, and off we go matt
0: she starts to walk tailing a man the man revealed to be talos uh gaia finds uh pop Reachin, uh and indeed has brought the money intercut we see talos and fury breaking into the same building presumably through the back end uh, they meet with pop Reachin. they want answers uh hill is talking to a man outside but inside fury takes a seat pop needs to go meet his wife but the file says that that wife is actually an ex in miami might be another guy involved too so the fact that he's going to go meet his wife pete that's a liar liar pants on fire moment time to fess up who are you meeting where is the dirty bomb what is the dirty bomb tension here about the bomb
1: Yes, he's not familiar with that term, and that's the second lie that he doesn't get to have, uh, which, of course, here triggers a fight. Uh, Talos uh, and him throwing down, and he is thrown into a column. Fury brandishes his gun, but Talos doesn't want him shot. Um, Paprychen tells him that... Uh, He's betraying his own people before Fury puts him down with two shots. And Ben Mendelsohn really selling the pathos of this scene here of having to see one of his own killed because they can't bring him back.
0: It's a reminder that this is one of the best cast, I'll say episodes, because we'll talk later on if... Everybody makes it to next week's episode, but this is one of the best cast episodes and certainly in general, best cast series uh, that Marvel Studios has done, just with these, you know, fantastic actors, some of which have been leads in their own shows, award winners, and so forth. Um, uh, speaking of the person whose doom I don't want to get to quite yet, Maria Hill is still uh, tailing Gaia, perhaps down a corridor into a a cellar space. It's the kind of standard spooky space you want to avoid when you're tailing someone. Um, These two women end up fighting. It is Gaia who wins and now it's Talos in pursuit. Uh, It's around now, by the way, we officially get the name Gaia and that kind of confirmed there. Um, She doesn't want to hand over the bomb. Uh, By the way, references made, Mom is Dead. Uh, Pete, that does, of course, for those who have not watched Captain Marvel five minutes ago, that does make Gaia, the daughter of Talos, Mm -hmm. and Soren, Is that correct? Correct. Okay, just so we're all clear here. For all the, I don't want to say over-explaining, but for all of the the clarity that this episode gives, you know, first two scenes where we're kind of hammering home the idea of the scrolls and so forth, and uh, later on we have some points that just really, really, really get hammered home. I, I was watching this going, can somebody just be like, you know, that's why I don't talk to you anymore, Dad, or, you know... I miss seeing you, my daughter. I would have liked just a little bit more from this scene. But um, how is mum dead? Uh, Talos says, ask the people that you work for. And Gaia ends up walking, has the bomb in tow until she can find a quiet spot and cry. Pete, that means that she is in tension.
1: The last words her mother spoke to Talos here to find her. Um, So clearly conflicted as a result of what's happened. Uh, Fury enters a Russian bar where he speaks the language and he buys the comrades around before sitting with a scarred hill here after her dust up with Gaia. Um, And of course, Fury explaining that they kept the Cold War from going hot Uh, by speaking the language and uses a word for spies that Maria Hill isn't comfortable using, but he can use.
0: Pete, why did Fury abandon Earth? Let's talk seriously here. He says it was to build Saber, but perhaps that's not true. He's back because he owes something to someone. He has been incommunicado. uh, But Maria Hill thinks he's not ready because Pete... We're going to really hammer home a point here now and a little bit later and a little bit later and a little bit later because Fury is not the same after the blip. Um, Just so we're aware of that. Also, check your footing.
1: Some sort of crisis of faith that he refers to here, though Hill notes it's good to have him back, but he says that he owes Talos um, and Hill says that he in the past, would have been three steps ahead and that he's not ready for this. There's no shame Uh, he's told her in the past to walk away when the steps are uncertain, Uh, lest someone get hurt or murdered at the end of the episode, like the person speaking.
0: Later, Fury reflects on being blipped. Later, Gravik looks out the window. Gaia brings him the bomb. Uh, They wonder if perhaps the strike should be postponed. But of course now they have the bait. Later still, Pete, uh, a lady hails a cab. She ends up in a seedy spot. We see that it was Talos driving all along. uh, And Gaia, the real passenger. They talk and she says the attack will happen tomorrow. Unity Day. Gravik knows that you're coming. Three couriers are coming and each will have a bag. The guy will tag with infrared spray, um, which I realize, Pete, you know, kind of feels like exposition. I would say it's pretty effortless. It's just this is the plan. It's also clear to us in the audience. Um, when the day finally comes, our heroes are keeping an eye out, or in Maria Hill's case, two eyes. <laughs> um, and uh, Gaia is spotted. Uh, It's reminded, watch the bags, not the person. Watch the bags, watch for infrared spray. Infrared spray? Yes, infrared spray. Pete, do you understand it's infrared bags with infrared spray? Because they say it a lot.
1: And the X's there visually do the job. The uh, frames that Fury has, he's able to see. Uh, But Hill misses the uh, pass from Gaia having two backpacks to suddenly now only having one. There's a guy going northeast and then there's our friend Yellow Hat from before who's heading south. They give chase in the crowd here before Fury runs into, on the balcony, the little girl with the rainbow ball.
0: (gasps) She's from earlier in the episode.
1: Yes, who then becomes an old man, then a woman, okay? And Fury, at this point, knows... He's up against what is probably a uh, Skrull rebel, ultimately confirmed to be Gravik, uh, pulling his gun. Hill's guy turns. Uh, Fury is then with Gravik as Talos is running after one of his uh, marks. And Hill's guy tosses the backpack that is empty. It's huh. a decoy with. Uh, Fury here, Gravik uh, is drawn on, but Gravik produces a switch which leads to a series of explosions before Fury draws again but can't shoot on him in the crowd. So he just follows him and Fury calls out to hill, but we get the old gunshot look down. Oh, that didn't come from behind. They came from right in front as she falls. And real fury sees this as fake fury or fury smiles.
0: Wonderful, unsurprisingly wonderful, because it's Samuel L. Jackson, but wonderful acting moment here while he's playing Gravic, playing Fury, and so forth. It revealed ultimately that the fake fury, or as you said, Fa Fury is Gravic. Real fury goes to Hill. She's bleeding and then dies, which I was not expecting out of this show. Dies, question mark, but it feels, you know, pretty definitive. Uh, The camera work certainly makes us think so. Uh, We get to the end for now, the end of this episode. And Pete, rather cruelly, by the way, I guess credits are done. The first credit is guest star Kobe Smulders. And I was like, oh, but I think she just died. And now I'm sad.
1: Time to analyze the fallout from this episode. Matt, is Maria Hill with us in the MCU for 11 years, uh, real time, our time, uh, even more for the character? Is she dead and gone?
0: I must confess, Pete, if this is the end for colby smolders and maria hill i think it's a rather unceremonious way to do it um and if she's okay next week then it's kind of like liar liar pants on fire with the way the camera really makes me buy at the end of this episode but i'd rather have the camera fake me out i'd rather have a week wondering i mean i feel like she's such an integral part to this not a major part not an avenger not you know goodbye, Robert Downey Jr. Or will there be another Thor adventure or something? She's not quite on that level, but she's part of the Marvel Studios family. And if this is curtains for her, then I don't think they did a very good job giving her her final curtain.
1: Well, we were promised the shakiness of who's who, not that people would be going away. So I I think this is a twist that certainly caught a lot of people off guard. Matt, the actress is in the Marvels. So... I don't know here. Uh, It's also the MCU where we can bring people back. And what's the name of the episode? Resurrected. Um, She's been blipped out of existence before. Uh, I would kind of doubt... This is it, at least right now, for Kobe Smulders.
0: Though, as we've discussed, and as, as I think you're implying, is it beyond possibility that they've sat her down and said, hey, after this episode, you will be playing gaia's human form gaia who now will take the persona of maria hill performance-wise it's basically the same things kobe and we're still going to continue to pay you at your your you know your wonderful rate and so forth but this is a twist that's coming and her her response might be awesome cool i get to somehow perform a little bit differently but also still be a part of the family and still make some money along the way like i wouldn't rule that out and that would also kind of make me feel better if this is it for maria hill um part of the fun of this episode part of the fun of this series really is like look i don't think that they'd shot a scroll pretending to be maria hill cuz she would have changed and so forth but you know could that be revealed in the opening moments of next week's episode it could could it be this could it be that Th- that is part of the fun of all of this
1: more to the conceit of the show here is the idea of ross being simmed and, of course, that scroll uh, meeting his demise. So it begs the question, Matt, where's the real Ross?
0: Uh, I hope he's just back in Washington, D.C., dealing with his boss slash ex-wife, running down some cases and so forth before he gets pulled into this. He, Ross, gets pulled into this properly. Yeah. Um, it does also, you know the, the the use of fake Ross here, not to repeat it again, but it does really hammer home this idea who can you trust? Who is a scroll? who isn't? I mean, we open with. I would argue for many people, um, um, Martin Freeman is so beloved, whether it's whether you have familiarity with the British office or whether it's from Sherlock or you know, et cetera, et cetera. He's such a good get for the MCU that you kind of see him and you go. Oh man, here we are back. You know, we just saw him in Wakanda Forever, and so on and so forth. And then, you know, contributing to the topsy turvy nature of this world is the beloved Martin Freeman, the Hobbit, the this, the that. Now, all of a sudden, he's not who we, you know, he's he's playing someone who is not who we thought who he was, and all of that.
1: Soren dies, of course, off screen. This recap and emotional fallout. For Gaia, as well, obviously for her surviving husband. Will we get any further detail other than, oh yeah, the rebels did it, and uh, she said to find you.
0: To have a line like, ask, you know, uh, ask Gravic. I know it's not the direct line, but ask Gravik why Mum is dead. It, it would lend itself to a flashback. I feel like sometimes Marvel Studios is guilty of, you know, here's a line to talk about a thing that we don't want to talk about. Um, but Pete, I'll even double down, you know, in the Marvels, could we have a flashback with Soren? Sure. Could we, could we have a flashback with alive and human Maria Hill? Sure. Um, as, but specifically for your question of Soren, there's a slight stink about it that makes me think that maybe they're just like, yeah, Soren was in draft one, but now that we're in draft, you know, 35, Soren's been written out and was written out a long time ago, which I feel like would be a shame because you could get some get some meat from, you know, mom's dramatic goodbye to to dad and saying, try and tell Gaia that she can be on the good side or something like that.
1: Matt, we have a new MCU president to add to the mix.
0: Uh, we do. They're. There we see Dermot Mulroney uh, looking all presidential. Um, I mean, speaking of good gets, while while Mulroney is not, you know, the most famous actor of all time and, and so forth, he's a good. Like you know, they could get any. They could get any person to be playing the president of the United States. Uh, they, they could have gone Pete, maybe for a non-white male if they wanted to. But if you're going to go. If you're going to go that route, I feel like he's he's got the gravitas. It's kind of like, oh, that's that guy from other things. And he kind of brings that gravitas with him. And it's, uh, it's a nice addition.
1: This, uh, you know, after uh, perhaps the most famous president, the one with the most screen time in the MCU, uh, Matt Ellis, uh, has finished up his time.
0: That's the nature of term limits, I suppose. He's aged out of uh, he's aged out of MCU president.
1: Oh wait, wait, what's that? I'm getting a quake watch.
0: Quake Watch 2023, where we chart the progress of the diehard theory that the former agent of Shield, Quake, aka Daisy Johnson, will appear in this show. That it is guaranteed and foretold, Pete. Take us to the big board.
1: Looking at the wall, Matt, we can chart in this episode the action occurring predominantly present day Russia, that one scene in Washington, but nary a sight of agent of shield, Daisy Johnson, a.k.a. Quake.
0: Um, yes, while while we are going to be charting this theory each and every single week, um, no evidence that Daisy has joined Saber, no, n- n- no presence, uh, you know, neither here nor there. Uh, I don't know, Pete, if that lowers the odds. Um, last seen you...
1: in space.
0: Yeah. but last scene in space. I mean, last scene in space, maybe in another timeline. I know, I know a certain segment of the agents of shield, uh, fandom does not want to believe that despite, despite, you know. Pretty irrefutable. Either evidence on screen or a goof on screen. But, um, Pete, Quake Watch happening another day. The watch continues as some stare out the window and say, we will get Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. or an Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. in this show.
1: The bombs that went off in the square. Four blasts here. We were told three. So are we led to believe that they weren't actually dirty bombs, you know, those, uh, improvised explosives with, uh, nuclear material around them. So to make areas uninhabitable, um, was referenced that these bombs were bait. They certainly did draw Fury and Talos and Hill, uh, who would seem to be dead at this point. Uh, I-
0: I would agree that the, the central mechanism of this week's episode, the dirty bomb or the dirty bombs, um, again, dirty referring to you know, with nuclear waste and that sort of thing, I would agree that the, the center nature of this conflict appears a little nebulous in this episode. I suspect that that is part and parcel with the kind of story that they're trying to tell. I think that we are perhaps meant to be a little confused at the end of the episode, uh, as well as upset at the proposed loss of Maria Hill here. I would task the next episode early on, have an early Gravic scene where Gravic says, Aha, for you thought you were going after one thing, but instead we had lesser bombs to draw out the opposition. Like... I think your theory is 100% correct, Pete. I think that the episode, or the show rather, in the next episode should hammer home that just so that it's clear. Because a lot of time was spent talking about nuclear dirty bombs. And we did not get one in this episode, at least as near as I can tell.
1: Seen a lot of reaction uh, with Maria Hill being shot by Fury. Oh, you know, she if she's dead, she would have died thinking that he killed her. Um, no. She would not have. <laughs> if she was shot by Nick Fury, she would know, whoever just shot me had the form of Nick Fury, but wasn't really Nick Fury.
0: Uh, yeah, totally agree. She's far too intelligent, and she's been in this game for far too long. And, and seen He's too much. on me? Yeah. That's not her dying thought. Her dying thought is, you know, Nick, I hope you go get those those sons of guns. Uh, and Pete, let's stick with Gravik as as the villain here for a second. Okay, his name is Gravik. I must confess, I don't know if that's got, if the name has some lengthy history in the comics and so forth. But Gravik, an alien who's trying to fit in or who attempts to fit in, you know, with the shape-shifting. Okay, Latka Gravis, the Andy Kaufman character from Taxi, an <laughs> alien by uh you know by legal status a, a a a a person from another country in the show taxi trying to fit in uh later episodes of taxi there's a whole uh, personality sort of thing where he's then able to act as other people act as more american and so forth so my question to you pete is the name gravic are we going to find out that it is related to the beloved Latka gravis character from taxi
1: I don't think so oh. that if if only he is involved in some fisticuffs himself and throws somebody uh, perhaps a grovi toss
0: uh, Pete, any other theories that you have about this episode about the five episodes ahead?
1: I just think the uh, you know, hey, we keep our human form when we're warriors just seemed a little wonky uh to me it screamed all right yes you you said you're less likely to be id'd it it also screamed cost cutting move
0: hey who used to star in what was for a period of time the biggest show in the world it's tv's amelia clark we're not going to cover her in latex hey who has an oscar and an emmy it's olivia coleman who i know thus far has been presented as human and so forth but um yeah we're not going to have a lengthy thing where there's a sim played also by olivia coleman nope she's everybody who's got a good face keeps their human face
1: we've received several communiques from our field agents let's see what they had to say Pete, we go to
0: Twitter where we launched a poll. I was saying, what cute emoji do I ascribe to this? It's snaps, of course. Side note, didn't know there was a snap emoji, but there you go. But Pete, we're not starting with snaps. We're starting at the bottom choice here, which is like a, a hmm HMM emoji subpar intro that got 2.8%. Two snaps, solid start, got 30.8%. Three snaps, cracking start got 36.1 percent four snaps perfection got 30.8 percent some replies here first one from andre yeager at dr Pole in 1983 great beginning to the series uh i love anxious nervous fury he's gonna go full scorched earth rampage after that ending i feel for anyone on the wrong end of that also i hate Gravik 2 way too smug uh, next tweet here from the network formerly known as HBO. That's uh, at KCLYLE1 <laughs> on Twitter. Uh, strong out of the gate, something newish in the MCU, a spy adventure. I was surprised right from the start with the first scroll reveals. I love how he's being careful with the wording here so somebody can read it and not say, Martin Freeman's a fake in the beginning. Um, but, uh, KCLYLE1 says, I'm not sure we can believe that Hill's actually dead. It's a comic book show after all, but if she is, uh, I guess there are some, uh, actual stakes and what happens here may affect other shows slash movies. So we know when this takes place. Um, i ask uh i ask because the previews for marvel's fury i still as a patch just curious looking forward to wednesday mornings again fun 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 all three funds with the ph and peter certainly is possible as, as i said before as we've said it's likely that all of marvel's takes place in its present day which will be six months from now or something like that but could we get Flashback Fury? Can we get Flashback Maria Hill? Certainly. certainly, Can we get it for major portions of the story? Certainly could be. Uh, Next tweet here from Major Noel Gardner. That's at Noel Camille. Uh, With all the speculation on who's a scroll, I was truly shocked by the ending to this episode. The grounded spy espionage take on this story will keep us guessing until the end. Where's Ross? Who can be trusted? How deep uh, goes it? The one thing I do know is I don't like Gravik. Um, And uh, a reply here from Spider-Ham Lincoln, yes, how deep does it go? Uh, Pete, a mystery that uh, I would expect is going to get unfolded over the next five episodes.
1: Really interested in the slow burn, you know, this after the potential that we've killed a longtime agent and uh, character in this world uh, for these six episodes.
0: And I will say, though I don't want Maria Hill dead and I don't want Kobe Smulders, you know, never to return to the MCU. Noel just raised a really interesting point here, which is when you're crafting this episode and you're looking at all the whiteboards in the writer's room, killing off Maria Hill for real is one heck of a way to tell people like, oh, this isn't just going to be who's a scroll and who's not like, you know, anything is possible. Uh, we hear again from Spiderham Lincoln Tess LC one three nine. I woke up very early this morning, uh, Wednesday, and watched it while while I was still half asleep. All in all, it was a fun start to this unique story. But there was a lot of people. There were a lot of people following other people down alleyways and through buildings and stuff. Lots of spy crap. Scrolls got a scroll. Guess it is true. Pete, we hear from at Bike who says it was okay. I felt like they were moving uh, a lot of pieces around and laying a lot of track. I was really unhappy about the death at the end. I'm a fan of that actor, and I think the character was long underserved in the MCU. How's that for being spoiler without spoiling? I would say thumbs-up job there. Somebody could read it and not not know what to expect. Uh, Next, Pete, we hear from Ian Silverman. It's at Sylvie underscore 76, uh, who says, I'd been excited for the show for a long time, and man, oh, man... Did this first episode not disappoint? Great to see so many of these characters again, and Olivia Coleman and Amelia Clark seem like wonderful additions to the MCU. Not too tough to predict uh, at the beginning that Agent Ross was a Skrull, but was not expecting what happened at the end. R.I.P. Maria Hill, broken heart emoji. Thought for a minute maybe it was uh, Real Nick Fury shooting Skrull Maria Hill, but no such luck. You guys said a while back on your Marvel movie podcast for Quantum Mania that that was the MCU's chance to do the Star Wars Cantina thing. Well, this show seems like it's the MCU's chance to do the classic spy versus spy thing. Who can mm-hmm. you trust? Who's uh, who's she really working for? Whose side is he really on? Oh, and I'm here for it all. Also, huge kudos to whomever wrote the score. Uh, that really added the tension uh, to the final sequence when they were chasing backpacks through the crowd. Can't wait for next week. Thanks, guys. Stay fantastic. Uh, and Pete, I could tell you who wrote the score because I noted it as well. It's Chris Bowers, who I, K-R-I-S Bowers, uh, who I must confess I'm not super familiar with thus far, but um, whether it's whether it's the controversial credit sequence or the music in general, it was just really, really well done.
1: I think it is evocative music. It really does give you a feel for the property. Um, yeah, the, the thing was the the visuals there with that beginning sequence kind of took me out.
0: Uh, I will just mention Pete while uh, I have a second here to open up a tab. Uh, Chris Bowers has composed uh, music for some other things um let's see he has a a side some sideman stuff that he's done things like uh oh for example pete this summer's upcoming haunted mansion he did score for king richard uh space jam a new legacy which oh pardon me he was replaced on that um for tv he's done um let's see some of the more famous things uh uh he's done uh star trek short treks uh mrs america bridgerton so this is this is an up-and-comer here chris bowers uh in his early 30s, so you, if you can get a talent who's on the way up, that's that's awesome, as opposed to we're going to hire same old, same old, you know. Pete, last tweet here from John it's at, uh, J, uh, Fluet. that's at J-F-L-U-E-T on Twitter, um, and he has, some of his words he has starred out here, he has put blanks in, so I will read it as best I can with those blanks intact. John says, Fear gonna go all, I've had it, with these uh <laughs> ing scrolls on this MFing planet. Monkey
1: flinging Monkey on this fling- Monday to Friday plane.
0: Uh, indeed. Um, so I, I would agree that that's in line with how Fury is feeling. Pete, to the email inbox we go. We heard from Steve Adams who says as follows, I've been waiting for this series a long time and the first episode did not disappoint. Almost, uh, almost off the rip. I wasn't sure who was human and who was Skrull. Uh, just the very nature of the story really does a lot to hamper efforts to theorize about what may happen next. Let me pause his words for a second. What a great observation, and what mm-hmm. fun we're going to have here! I, you know, again, on a certain level it's baked into it's baked into the whole thing, but I hadn't fully thought of it like that. So, great observation there. Uh, back to his words here. Talos and Fury are both weary and, uh, and exhausted men who clearly don't think they're up for this fight. It will be interesting to see where they turn for help. Does Rhodey put the suit back on? Does Carol Danvers show up? I like Pete's idea that Monica Rambeau making an appearance. Uh, I loved her in WandaVision, and I'm always happy for, to see her pop up in a story. How about another possibility? I wasn't able to get my thoughts in before your final preview. My theory is still in play. Uh, I think at some point we get a half Cree half uh, Skrull, Hulking, uh, pardon me, Hulkling. Uh, As a bonus, maybe we get all the Young Avengers too. You guys know I keep name dropping the Young Avengers every chance I get. We have seen uh, six of them. And Hulkling is the last prominent member of the team we haven't seen yet. Uh, It has to happen sometime, right? Anyway, here's to a thrilling spy story. See you next week. And as always, stay fantastic that from steve adams
1: just want to make a shout out matt to all the people helping us on patreon.com slash whether it's this podcast whether it's all the other ones 33 feeds strong at this point make it impossible and matt matt that reminds me uh, we have a winner to draw for our uh, digital download code for Black Panther Wakanda Forever.
0: Uh, indeed, Pete, the time has come. Hopefully you have your, your uh, names in the hat ready to go. And uh, who is our winner this time?
1: Well, reaching in here, Matt. Let's see whose name I unwrap. That's going to be Doctor Bob K. Doctor Bob Keeley.
0: Definitely uh, glad that we have a winner, and uh, congrats to Doctor Bob. Uh, we'll, we'll be in touch, Pete. And in, in, indeed, perhaps you want to be in touch with him. Um, he might wonder how it is that you're going to reach out to him before the podcast even posts. That's maybe the magic. That's that's the magic <laughs> of the special thing that's going on behind the scenes here. Uh, something made possible because. One of us is traveling, and we're, we're, we're doing some things through the mists of time and so forth. But uh, bottom line, thanks to all who uh, left reviews, and thank you, Dr. Bob, uh, and congratulations for being the
1: winner. Absolutely.
0: Pete, let's keep this secret invasion discussion going. How can people be in touch with you on Twitter?
1: You can find me on Twitter at Peter, K E T E L A A 12,792 followers, can't be wrong.
0: And while I'm personally on Twitter, it's looking back lost, do me in touch with the podcast, comment on FantasticGeek.com. Check us out on Twitter, Instagram, and Gmail, where we are Fantastic Geek as well. But wait, Pete, there's
1: more. Facebook.com slash FantasticGeek with a PH, all one word, like it, today.
0: Pete, speaking of the mists of time and the future, we'll be back tomorrow on Star Trek Sunday to talk the second episode of of Star Trek Strange New Worlds. Looking forward to that greatly. Uh, Beyond that, the clock clicking ever closer to... uh, us seeing and talking about Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny, uh, but of course, Secret Invasion Saturdays and Star Trek Sundays continuing for the near future as as we have these great adventures here. With that, Pete, I will say adios to all the listeners and give you the final word.
1: We've only scratched the surface of mediocrity.